0: Welcome to Life in Full Expression with me, your host, Beth Wolf. In this show, we will explore, elevate, expand, and learn how to live your best life. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to live your life in full expression or create an expansive vision for your future? Get ready to be energized to fully express yourself. Discover your heart's clarity for dynamic direction and life decisions and develop your unique capabilities so you are delivering your ever-increasing capacities into your world. Join me, Beth Wolf, and unleash the limitless capabilities of your soul. Experiencing amazement, collaboration, fun, and purpose. Life in full expression starts now. Welcome, you amazing souls. I'm excited to be with you this Monday. It is May 22nd, today, we're going to talk about happiness and I'm going to start off with a question about what is happiness anyway? You know, it seems like we are, that's a goal. That's an intention. We're pursuing it. We're longing for it. Um, and one of the seven dimensions of life and full expression is our emotional and psychological dimension. Let me give you a little bit of a definition of that. So, cause we're going to dive into this happiness today versus well-beingness. So what exactly is our emotional psychological dimension? Well, it's more than an absence of problems and illness, both our emotional and mental states to our feelings and thoughts involving awareness, acceptance of a wide range of feelings in not only ourselves, but also in others too. And it's also an ability to express emotions, function independently. And the last thing is the ability to navigate daily challenges because we get to have those in this human endeavor. So let's look at happiness versus well being. What's the difference? And I have some great authors in this short podcast about well, what is happiness anyway? So let's get started, let's dive in. If you are a person that has ever struggled with not being happy uh this is the podcast for you you can get some great little nuggets and tips today that will serve you and let's start with a little happiness theory because you know we started these theories and then we put them into practice by a legendary psychologist and researcher martin Seligman, and he's often known as the father of positive psychology and there's been a lot about positivity but We're going to get some different multifaceted angles on this. He wrote a book called Flourish. So if you're interested more in what he has to say, you can get his book called Flourish. And he explores the theories of authentic happiness and well-beingness. Now, one of the things that I teach in my personal wellness class to my students is there is a difference between an external locus of control and an internal locus of control. And you probably guessed it, if we're have an external locus of control, it's pretty much we're basing our happiness on all the things outside our externalness, that they got to be in a certain order in a certain way in order for us to be happy, where internal locus of control, the happiness is coming from within. So you might think they'd be pretty similar happiness and well being. But there are actually some significant differences between happiness and well being according to Seligman's theory. So, authentic happiness theory states that happiness is made up of three different components. So, listen up for this. First component positive emotion, engagement, and meaning. So positive emotion refers to all the good feelings we experience, such as pleasure, warmth, comfort, rapture, excitement. Engagement refers to being in a flow state where we become totally absorbed in an activity, lose track of time and experience a temporary loss of self-consciousness. Now, if you've ever lost yourself in a song or a book or experienced runner's high or was shocked to find you'd been gardening for hours, then you know what engagement is. The third element, meaning, refers to our need to have some sense of purpose in our lives. The ultimate goal of authentic happiness theory is to increase the amount of happiness in your life and in the world around you. So over time, Segelman Came to feel that authentic happiness theory was an insufficient explanation of happiness because it focused only on how we feel and didn't consider external factors like might impact our happiness. As a result, he decided to expand his theory and develop what he calls the well being theory. So, this is just an example of, you know, somebody starts out with an idea, a theory, goes out, plays with it, tests it, and then expands on it. Really, I think that's the human endeavor right there. So, well being theory still contains the components of positive emotion, engagement, and meaning. But what he ended up adding was two more, and that was accomplishment, and I bet you could guess the last one positive relationships. So by accomplishment, selgamen really means a life that's dedicated to accomplishment for the sake of not for the sake of it, not because it might actually bring you and I some status or accolades. That's really external focused. He also includes positive relationships because it's been shown time and again that positive relationships have a powerful impact on our overall well-being. So, he also identifies the goal of well being theory as increasing the amount of flourishing in your own life and in the world. I really love that word, flourish. I, I mean, that is just very expansive. So, what does that word mean? Let's expand a little bit more on that. To flourish, a person needs to meet the f- following three core, cr- really, features and criteria. Number one, positive emotions. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that. And then second criteria is engagement and interest. And then third is meaning and purpose. So all three of those components really get to be part of your life for it to flourish. And then some additional criteria and really some other features that would go along with that, those top three could have to be self-esteem, your own internal optimism, resilience, vitality, self-determination and then again positive relationships. So this all might sound pretty good in theory, right? Yeah. But how do we actually learn how to flourish? Um, And sometimes I think often, if not, we just have an expectation that we're going to flourish without actually allowing ourselves that we are really possibly here to discover and develop some incredible things in this human body so it's an ongoing process but it can start by asking one simple question what really makes me happy what really makes you happy one of my mentors says you know what would you love you know what would really ignite you um what would really flourish your life, all of those questions. Um, if we ask high calibrating questions, then we really become a receiver for the high calibrating answers. So what makes us happy? Start thinking about that right now for yourself. I've worked with hundreds, if not thousands of clients and I will ask them this question. And a lot of times the answer is this, and this might be you. I know sometimes it was me they'll say, I don't know, I I do not know what makes me happy. I'm so preoccupied with making everybody else happy around me. I'm not really sure what makes me happy. So if that's you, I just tune into this, invest this time for yourself right now. The good news is we have the power to cultivate our own happiness. We have the power to cultivate our own well-beingness and research supports this. But this is much easier said at times, right? Than it is for us to actually have it done. And I want to invite you that what if you looked at it as curiosity, like a a child being curious about discovering and developing and delivering this cultivating your happiness, which leads to another question. Why do we sometimes believe it is so hard really to find true happiness. Why do we believe that? Well, there's an author that wrote a book, The How of Happiness, Sonia Lubronsky. I had to look up and practice pronouncing that name before I came on here. And she poses a few reasons why this might be the case, okay? We're often off base about what will really bring us happiness, okay? I find that a lot with clients. Um, number two, we assume good things that happen to us will make us happier than they really do, you know, like some materialistic thing, or you finally get the car, the house, whatever it might be, some materialistic, you get it. And you're like, well, that didn't really make me happy. Like I thought it would. All right. Number three, we end up ignoring more effective lasting paths to happiness. So while it's hard to say exactly how much our habits and behaviors actually contribute to our happiness, research has found that certain behaviors, all right, like practicing gratitude, cultivating positive relationships can actually make us happier in the long run. In fact, it's been observed that the happiest participants in these studies that are mentioned in this book share many behaviors and traits in common. So listen up. Would you long to have these? Do you have some of them? They spend a lot of time with their loved ones, they express gratitude for what they have. Uh, they are quick to help others. And in addition, they look to the future with optimism. They exercise regularly. They're committed to their goals. And finally, they are resilient when they face challenges. Well, all of this goes to show that it's definitely possible and extremely worthwhile to actually cultivate habits and behaviors that actually could boost our overall happiness and well-being. So let's shift gears slightly right now and take some time to examine how happy you are right now. So I have a little bit of a um, really kind of an evaluation that Sonia created in her book and introducing this to you before we start to uncover ways to increase your overall happiness or mine, it's important to have a baseline happiness score. Who knew there was one and also known as a set point. Now I think of a set point as the same thing as a physiological set point. That would be in your body for your metabolic resting rate or something like that. So she's coming from it from a happiness score. And this will help you and I understand where we are right now and help us track how certain activities or behaviors impact our happiness. So here we go. Happiness can be thought of as really existing on a scale that ranges from extremely low to extremely high to find out where you lie on this scale, I'm going to walk you through a subjective happiness scale. So I'll actually put this worksheet up in this episode after this broadcast. And so you can go to this episode and download it to know your happiness score. So this is what it looks like. You're gonna read these statements and questions and then select the number that describes you most accurately. And it actually goes from a scale from one to seven. Um, seven, one, you're not very happy, seven, a very happy person. I find it interesting that she does seven because in Hebrew seven is a number of completion. So number one, in general, I consider myself not a very happy person or a very happy person. Now just score yourself between one and seven. Second, compared with most of my peers, I find myself less happy or more happy. If you're less happy, you're going to be down by the one. If you're more happy, you're going to be up by the seven. Next one. Some people are generally very happy. They enjoy life, regardless of what is going on, getting the most out of everything. To what extent does this characterization describe you? One, not at all, or seven, a great deal. And then the last question, some people are generally not very happy. Although they are not depressed, they never seem as happy as they might be. To what extent does this characterization describe you? A great deal, that would you'd be on the one end of the scale, or not at all, up at the seven. So this is what you do. After you've completed all four items, you'll then need to calculate your subjective happiness score. To do this, you add up the numbers you've selected for each item, then you take the total of those four questions and divide it by four, and that's your happiness score. So for example, if you gave yourself a seven on all four items, the total would be 28, and then you divide it by four, which would give you a total happiness score of seven, which is the highest possible happiness score would be seven and the lowest would be one. So what does this number actually mean? Well, here's how to read it. For adults who are past college age, that would be me. I'm a little past college age. (laughs) The average happiness score is 5.6. So if your happiness score is lower than that, it indicates that you're less happy than the average adult. And if your score is higher, it suggests you're happier than the average person. So this will give you a general sense of how happy you are compared to other people. It's just one measurement. It's not the only one. And if you score your score is lower than expected, don't worry. It's just feedback. The truth is you can take steps to be happier, no matter where your score is on the scale. And I'm going to show you a little bit more about what happiness is not. So we're going to take a short break right now. Stay tuned, come on back, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about some myths on what happiness is not. I'll be right back on what is happiness anyway.
1: You're driven. And it totally shows. Your career is taking off. You're killing it in the mom game. But did your health needs make it on the plate this week? Tune in to Boss Up Babes, where Carissa Adkins helps babes show up, boss up, and thrive. Every second and fourth Tuesday at 1230 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Become the boss babe you were meant to be. To sign up for one of Carissa's group coaching programs, visit 365dailyhustle.com. Tune in to The Unlimited Mindset, how to have more success, time, freedom, and peace of mind every first and third Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Your host, Camilla Kahlberg, helps you create a great life in an easier way. Learn the why, what, and how of conscious awareness. Shift what no longer serves you. Camilla knows firsthand what results you can achieve when you commit yourself. To learn more, visit KohlbergCoaching.com. Are you
0: living life in full expression? Join me, Beth Wolf, on Life in Full Expression each Monday at noon Pacific time on TransformationTalkRadio.com. To learn how to explore, elevate, expand, and live your best life, discover the seven dimensions of life blueprint of expression. Get ready to fully express, develop your limitless capacity, and experience amazement to become an igniter and inspire. Visit BethWolf.com to discover the dynamic coaching of life in
1: Imagine what it would be like to turn your pain into purpose. Tune in to Transformation with Martine every second and fourth Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Martine and her guests are here shining their lights today through empowering stories of hardship and transformation. Begin to see your life in a new light. Visit MartineEmmons.com and tune in every second and fourth Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific to Transformation with Martine. Martine.
2: What does it feel like to be tangled up in knots? Find out how to get untangled on the hit show, Untangled and Free with Joan on TransformationTalkRadio.com. We all have knots and tangles, knots in your finances, your relationships, your beliefs. Which one do you want to pick up today and untangle? As Joan guides you on a pathway of freedom to live an untangled life of peace, love, joy, abundance, and more. Visit MindfulnessWithJoan.com and get untangled today.
0: Welcome back to the second segment of What is Happiness Anyways? I'm your host, Beth Wolf with Life in Full Expression, and I'm going to share with you some myths on what happiness is not. Um, This chat would not be complete without discussing what happiness is not, right? So there's countless myths about happiness abound, and it's important that we discuss and kind of debunk a little bit of this before We go on. So myth number one, you ready for this one? I'll find happiness when dot, dot, dot. This is a big one. The idea that we can only find happiness after the right things happen. For instance, I'll be happy when I'm married to my soulmate. Have you said that one? Or I'll be happy when I'm rich and successful. Maybe it's that one. Or I'll be happy when I'm the parent of three healthy boys. I, maybe you'd say girls, I don't know. Or when you win the lottery, or you're at a certain level of fitness, so that, you know, one of those. So here's the thing. For you and I to be waiting around for something to make us happy is actually a recipe of disappointment and disillusionment. And that's because happiness is something we ultimately need to or get to find inside ourselves. So more than anything, happiness is a state of mind that we get to choose. It's a way of seeing the world or our own lives. And so if you and I truly want to find happiness, the change needs to happen within our own mind. It gets to, Um, it doesn't have to. We are always at choice, we get to. All right, ready for myth number two? Happiness stems from positive life circumstances. thats a myth. A lot of people assume that they'll be happy when their circumstances change for the better. This might mean when they have more money, when they fall in love again, when they have another child, or when they finally find a career they love. Unfortunately, many people, myself included, Overestimate the impact of positive life circumstances on their overall happiness, while our happiness is likely to get a boost when something good happens to us. Definitely i've experienced that that boost is likely to be temporary so instead of expecting that changing your life circumstances will make you happier you're much better off working on adopting a more positive outlook as well as some of what we talked about of cultivating certain behaviors. You know, that's a key element. Myth number three, you're born to be happy or unhappy. You know, you're either, you know, in my mind, you're either a Tigger bouncing around or you maybe you think you're an Eeyore. I, you know, that might be some word pictures that could go with those words. So many people believe that a happy or unhappy nature is just something you're born with and that there's not a whole lot we can do to change that. The thinking goes that unhappiness is genetic or that some people are just destined to be unhappy. Now, your environment definitely has an impact on that, right? You're like, you might be going, Beth, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know the environment I'm in. And there are times the environments are very challenging Yet that environment, it, it doesn't have to be on the inside of you either. So in fact, genetics alone isn't totally responsible for our ability to be happy. So while Lumbronsky research suggests that we are born with a certain happiness set point, because we just took that quiz together, or potential for happiness, we can still change our happiness level for the better. I certainly have done that in my own life. This means that as far as happiness is concerned, genes don't necessarily equal destiny. That's a good thing. That's a really good, that's good news, you know? So next up, what what's mindset got to do with it? Definitely if you're listening to this channel or some of the podcasts that I've already done, we talk about mindset quite a bit. Let's, let's dive into this a little bit with the happiness thing. Our mindset can have a major impact on our overall happiness and well-being, right? And we are capable of changing our mindset, no matter what our natural happiness set point might be. Pretty much we've decided that. And our mindset is truly a powerful force in our lives and often determines whether we keep going in face of adversity or we crack under pressure. But why is it that some people keep on going when going forward seems impossible? Do you know them? Are you one of them? Why do some people triumph over challenges when other people simply give up? And how can some people maintain a happy outlook in the face of seemingly insurmountable obstacles? sink or swim when things get tough. And in all honesty, you might you know really swim well in one area and then you might sink in another area and you get to discover and develop and cultivate that really well in that area. So let's look at all in your mind. It's no secret that two people who go through the same experience or setback can actually reflect the experience in a radically different way. So here's a little bit of an example um, I'm gonna give here. Let's say that Amy and Leah, both college students are each in the first serious relationship, okay? And things seem to be going great for a while, but both women discover, or you could flip this and it could be guys and the girls do this. So they discover that their boyfriends are unfaithful. And as a result, Amy and Leah break up with their boyfriends. So the similarities in there, however, because Amy and Leah have radically different ways of thinking about what happened, here's a little bit what goes on. So in Amy's mind, she blames herself for the fact that her boyfriend cheated on her and worries that she wasn't good enough for him. And she's convinced she's a failure in love and that she's a failure in life. And she believes she'll never get over this breakup. Can you relate to this? I mean. I think I can with maybe my first uh, relationship. In contrast though, Leah recognizes that it was her boyfriend's decision to cheat and that he was the one at fault. He made that decision. And even though she's deeply hurt, Leah reminds herself that if her boyfriend really, you know, cared for her and loved her and um, was faithful, he wouldn't have betrayed her like that. So she tells herself that she'll be more careful the next time. She's learned, she's taken in some information about herself and she'll find someone that truly loves and appreciates her. And really she's elevating self-love and appreciation, even in that decision. Well, this demonstrates that two people have the same information or undergo similar experience can draw very different inferences. And Amy's thinking meets the criteria for really Sugglemans calls the three P's of pessimism. All right. Are you guys ready? So the three P's of pessimism, number one, personalization. That means believing you're to blame for what's going wrong. It's like you really take it personal. Pervasiveness, believing that the setback will negatively impact all areas of your life. And then the third P is permanence believing that the aftershocks of the experience will linger forever and ever and ever. Well, Amy demonstrates personalization when she believes that she's at fault for her boyfriend's infidelity. And she believes that her so-called failure in love means that she's a failure who won't accomplish anything in life. And she also doesn't think that she'll ever get over this breakup. So she demonstrates pervasiveness and permanence. Can you see that all of her outlook on this particular experience? Well, Leah, however, displays a far more adaptive, resilient mindset and resists the urge to draw flawed inferences about herself from her experience, you know, takes her responsibility, but then doesn't take on what he chose. So, but why is this the case with these two? Why do some people draw negative inferences when bad things happen while others don't? And the people who manage to draw good inferences and they keep going on, what makes them different? So here's a little bit of looking in the inside of we look at people's particular behaviors and um, outlooks on things. So it appears that people like Leah, who persevere after setbacks and actually continue to strive for success, they actually display some traits and skills. So here they are. Leah is demonstrating motivation, perseverance, self-esteem, good mental health, self-regulation, And she has the ability to focus on tasks and these traits and skills are all components of fortitude the strength of mind that helps us face obstacles and adversity with courage so earlier in the first segment we were talking about flourishing so now we're talking about fortitude and honestly you might be wondering if fortitude is something you just have or if it's something you can actually develop and even elevate in your life. And I firmly believe that you can. The great thing about fortitude is that it's a skill. It can be learned and it can cultivate you. And I can cultivate fortitude no matter how young or old we are or what phase of life you're in. I mean, I think of the fortitude that, that I created after I completed a 25 year marriage, I'm in my early fifties that chapter is complete, there's a next one ahead of me. And I could have basically said, Oh, gosh, you know, there's no future for me, I'm never going to find love again, life is over, blah, blah, blah. But you know what, I really did put myself in a mentoring program in a system and a structure of support that I got to practice the skill of fortitude and strength of mind and it developed and honestly, from completing that marriage and being given actually the opportunity to develop and cultivate fortitude i you know i am in a much better place and more expansive loving kind generous human being now than i was about 10 years ago and i i'm so grateful for those trials and tribulations Um, I don't think that that's the only way to learn. It's just one way that you can do that. So what I'd like to do is take a short break here. And when you come back, we're going to talk about fortitude for a happier life. And again, it's a skill we can learn it. So take a short break, come on back and let's dive into fortitude as a skill that you can discover, develop and deliver in your own life. I'll be right back after this short message
1: are you ready to get big and live your life out loud tune in to get big out loud radio Exploring life through the lens of curiosity and compassion. With me, Carrie Knudsen, joining Dr. Pat live every second Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. I will offer ideas to transform what you are thinking into conscious action. If you want to get big and live your life out loud, visit me at KnutsonSpeaks.com.
0: Are you living life in full expression? Join me, Beth Wolf, on Life in Full Expression each Monday at noon Pacific time on TransformationTalkRadio.com. To learn how to explore, elevate, expand, and live your best life, discover the seven dimensions of life blueprint of expression. Get ready to fully express, develop your limitless capacity, and experience amazement to become an igniter and inspire. Visit BethWolf.com to discover the dynamic coaching of life in full
1: Do you feel stuck in a system that seems broken? Are you longing to have meaning in your life? Tune in to Banking on Burlesque, the propelling point of change with me, Lana Montrese, every fourth Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Navigate into a world of sparkle, wonder, and a lifetime of magical change as you discover a way to heal that you never thought possible. For more information, visit LanaMontrese.com. That's LanaMontrese.com.
0: Welcome back you amazing souls to this episode on what makes you happy and this last segment I'm going to give you a couple skills that you can begin to discover and develop and deliver and the first one is called fortitude and how can we learn that so fortitude is a skill that you and I can learn how do we do that and since fortitude is really made up of a variety of different skills so let's Let's unpack this a little bit that you, you and I can work on developing this skill, cultivating it. Let's unveil some of the components of fortitude. Number one, mindfulness to facilitate self-discipline and really discipline, disciple, even if you break that word down, really means we're a student. We're a student. We're a student of mindfulness. We're a student of fortitude. That's really what self-discipline really is, is that we're allowing ourselves to be taught, that we're teachable. The other component of fortitude is mental contrasting, and I'm gonna explain these a little bit more. And then the third is a growth mindset. So let's talk a little bit more about mindfulness to facilitate self-discipline. Everyone knows about the importance of having self-discipline, not new on the planet, but what does it really mean other than me breaking up that definition a little bit? You and I can think of it as making a conscious decision to choose what we really want, desire over what you feel like doing right now. Yeah. I had a little bit of that last night. I've been, um, purposing knowing that it's very healthy cause I've done it in the past. It really serves me well that too, not taking food uh, at least four or five hours before I go to sleep is really what my choice is because I feel so much better. It's better for your body. But oh, last night, oh my gosh, you guys, it was a challenge. I was like, I almost thought I'd like chew on a piece of wood pretty soon, but I didn't. I didn't give in to it because I really want that greater health level for myself versus having some short term you know, food, and then I go to bed and I don't feel really great. So for me, let's say you're working like me, you're working on your physical fitness, so you can be more tone and increase your endurance and stamina. Because that's really what it is for me is not only do I love to feel good in my clothes, but I love to have, you know, a strong, flexible, vibrant body so I can do fun things like water, water skiing and windsurfing and hiking and just, you know, all the activities I love to do. But some mornings you might wake up in the morning and all you want to do is go back to sleep and maybe skip your morning routine or your workout. Um, I love to journal and read in the morning, do a little bit of Qigong and energy work and stretch out a little bit. And then I do my workout a little bit later as far as, you know, a little bit more strength and endurance. So resisting the urge to go back to sleep and going out for your morning walk or doing your morning movement is a perfect example of self-discipline. So how can you learn to make your yourself self-discipline choices? Now, what if we exchange the word make like learn to make you more. What if you talk to yourself like I'm going to invite myself to a greater level of self discipline? Who doesn't love an invitation? It's just another way that you could talk to your subconscious mind. You can develop this skill by incorporating mindful practices in your daily life. So mindfulness is at the core, really of a type of awareness and a way of relating to all experiences, good or bad in an open and receptive way. You could almost say another word would be that you might have already heard is you're observing your thoughts. And instead of wishing for things to be different, mindfulness means accepting where you and I are right now, in what we're experiencing in this given moment, and really without judgment, we're just observing it. So through mindfulness, you and I can better cope with our problems, our challenges. And our negative feelings that we might be experiencing, which can help you be happier and I don't I'm one that I don't really believe negative feelings are bad. I just don't. I, I think a great example is that you think of a battery, it has a positive and negative in right well if it didn't have the negative in the battery wouldn't work. You know it's an anode cathode there's two different charges one's not better than the other they're both have to be there in order for the battery to work. So what if negative feelings are just really, they're helping us navigate life, you know, okay, not that way, this way, not that way, this way. So now let's get into number two, the mental contrasting. I love this. This term mental contrasting was coined actually by the psychologist, Gabriel Oettingen, and she refers to preparing people for challenges. So if you have challenges, which if you're breathing, you probably have challenges before they actually happen. So she wrote a book called rethinking positive thinking. So if you're interested in this, I highly recommend that book. And she states that optimists and pessimists alike demonstrate flawed thinking. Interesting, huh? So she's presenting that even though you might be an optimist, that could be flawed thinking too which makes them less effective when responding to challenges. All right, let's dive into this a little deeper. Optimists eagerly embark on the quest for happiness, but when problems arise, they tend to give up too easily. And pessimists dwell on the reasons why they can't be happy and can never be happy. Which one, which one do you play in more? Do you play in more of the optimist or do you play more in the pessimist? Um, I actually, I think I play more in the optimist realm than the pessimist um, more often than not. So mental contrasting actually offers us a way around this flawed thinking. It does so by having people focus on a positive outcome, one end of the battery, while anticipating possible obstacles that may arise, maybe the other end of the battery. So here's a little acronym that she came up with, and it's called WOOP, W-O-O-P. It stands for Wish, Outcome, Obstacle, Plan, and it's a framework. So here we go. What you can do, number one, wish. What's an important wish you want to accomplish? Your wish should be challenging but feasible. Let's say you wish to be happier, more contented person, you know, and give a little bit more detail of that for yourself. Number two, outcome. What's the result you envision? Pause and take a little time to visualize the desired outcome. You imagine feeling happy and even maybe expand that word happiness. What does it feel like for you to be happy? Are you engaged? Are you interested? Are you experiencing purpose and meaning and where you're at in life right now as well. You're also you're satisfied with the person you are, your relationships with others, and what you've accomplished in your life so far. And you have the resilience to keep going when you face obstacles and setbacks. So that's the outcome. All right, here comes the second O obstacle. What's the main obstacle that might prevent you from achieving that outcome? What is it? What might be the obstacle that would prevent you from being more happy? Your main obstacle are the self-esteem issues you often face, the negative people in your life, maybe, who make you doubt yourself, and the fear that you aren't as successful as you should be. I don't feel like I'm enough. People put their hands on their hips and say to you, well, how are you going to do that? Beth, those are the doubters. All right, the last acronym, P, plan. What's an effective action to overcome that obstacle? We're going to to go through it. Do some brainstorming to come up with when, then plan. When you encounter that obstacle, then you'll take this action. For example, when, I experience low self-esteem, I remind myself that it's okay to feel this way sometimes and the feeling will pass. Or you might say, when I encounter people who are negative and make me doubt myself, I don't think anybody makes me doubt, but might put that little thought around my head. I'll choose to distance myself from them and remind myself that they're the ones with maybe that's their perspective and not mine or when i worry that i'm not as successful as maybe i should be i'll make an effort to focus on the successes and the good things that are in my life right now all right so that's the whoop you got wish outcome obstacle and plan next step is growth mindset and this is crucial for us to maintain if we want to be happier and develop that sense of fortitude and really experiencing a flourishing life. So most of us have fear of experiencing struggles, challenges and difficulties, even though going through challenges can help us actually learn important things and cultivate new skills and boost memory intelligence. One of my favorite sayings is, you know, you're not going to become a skilled sailor if you're in port you're going to become a skilled sailor when challenging winds come up in currents you know you get to use those skills and practice them the problem is is that many people won't take risks or push themselves or i even like to say draw themselves you know through and past the fear of failure one of my mentors says that it's really failure is simply feedback um it's not always maybe what feels great at the time, but it's giving you feedback. But this is a recipe for regret because there's a chance you'll end up wondering what would have happened if you actually had taken that step rather than just sitting there doing nothing. So if you want to be happier, all right, a happier person, it's important for you and I to develop a growth mindset, allow ourselves to take risks even if being disappointed in the short term may happen. And instead of shying away for opportunities due to fear of failure, how about we tell ourselves that we can learn from mistakes and grow your skills in the process. Now, there's a little download that comes to me. When I was in college, my freshman year, we went on this hike and our, our leader decided to go all the way up to the top of this mountain. We were gonna go around the crest versus the mountains. What well, was hard? I mean, we took we took 3 steps forward and slid 2 back. We were on the shale and we got up to the top and guess what? Well, we couldn't do what he thought we he we could do, but man, the view. Oh my gosh, the view was amazing. So, yes, it was a little bit of a mistake, but I definitely got more fit climbing up that and the view was amazing. So, sometimes mistakes can bring kind of cool surprises. All right. The second thing that I want to give you about developing fortitude is the power of gratitude mindset. This is something that I work with my clients all the time, as well as myself, is that it's really important for us to cultivate gratitude in another powerful strategy for this happiness. And I remind us it is cultivating it. It is developing it every day in every way. It's important for us to understand that there's a lot more to gratitude than just thanking someone for a gift or for doing a favor. In fact, Robert Emmons, Robert a gratitude researcher, defines gratitude as a felt sense of wonder, thankfulness, and appreciation for life. It's also important to note that practicing gratitude involves focusing on the present moment and appreciating your life as it is right now. I'll often have clients. This is something that I do with my clients all the time. I'll actually break down gratitude into three categories. And I'll said, I'll ask them, what are you grateful for now? Something that's already manifested in your life. That one's pretty easy to come up with. And then I'll ask them, what are you grateful for in a challenge right now? Like, you know, there's a seed of good here. There's a seed of growth and you're just calling it up. So what's, let's, let's be grateful for a challenge right now. People that spend a lot of time with me, that gets easier and easier and easier. And they actually are excited about it. They're like, oh, I know there's growth here. There's something cool happening here, Beth. And then another thing that I have them step into gratitude, the act, the act is, that they come from their vision. They come from their dream. They come from the feeling of the wish fulfilled. I'm like, let's act as if it's already happened. Let's be grateful for that already. And I have them practice this all the time. I practice it in my life as well. So there's an increasing number of studies that have found that people who are grateful for what they have tend to be happier more energized and experience positive emotions more frequently. This may not be new information to you. I'm going to put a challenge out for you. Do you practice it? Because we can have a rote knowledge about something. My, My invitation is for you to go deeper, step down in deeper to that and practice it even at a deeper level. Ask yourself a question. What would it look like for me to practice gratitude even deeper? So um, in those positive emotions, participants in a study were asked to regularly count their blessings and often ended up feeling more optimistic, more satisfied with their lives and even experience a decrease, wait for it, a decrease in physical symptoms. Um, And I have found this in my college course that I teach every quarter on personal wellness. That's part of our assignment every week is to basically do two gratitudes and two wins. Every single quarter that I end with this course, that is always the game changer for students. Yes, they change their nutrition, they move a lot, but they walk away and they go, that was the game changer is for me to practice this gratitude and and remember my wins. So it was fantastic. Well, I want to leave you with eight ways as we bring this segment into a close today, eight ways that gratitude boosts your happiness. You ready? Eight. It is the number of new beginnings. So gratitude is going to help you savor positive life experiences. This is really an important thing physiologically that your cells actually feel that savor. Like you're marinating in the positive life experiences. Appreciating your blessings can help you experience more satisfaction and enjoyment in your life right now, today. You can do it right now. Number two, boost self-worth and self-esteem. Appreciating what people have done for you or what have accomplished can help you feel more confident and focus on your value as a person. I just gave that assignment to one of my clients, uh, earlier this week, last week. And there was struggling with some things and i'm like i'd like you to write down everything you know about that person that you're grateful for so that's his assignment right now. Number three it helps people cope with stress and trauma gratitude does being able to appreciate what you have seems to help people cope with trauma and negative experiences actually more effectively and number four it encourages moral behavior. Grateful people are more likely to help others and tend to be less materialistic they're generous it doesn't mean the materialism is bad it's just that their focus isn't so much on that. And then number five it helps build social bonds and positive relationships, I love what Marianne Williamson is saying right now is and quoted from Martin Luther King jr is that what if we in this beautiful world, we are a beloved community, you know. Gratitude helps build that special bond. Number six, it's going to inhibit social comparison. People who are grateful for what they have are less likely to compare themselves with others or to envy. Number seven, it's going to diminish negative emotions. And number eight, it's going to prevent us from taking good things for granted. People tend to adapt to positive circumstances and appreciate them less over time but practicing gratitude helps prevent this from happening. So if you would like to cultivate, discover and develop a greater practice of flourishing and fortitude and gratitude. Hey, just go to my website, BethWolf.com. You can schedule a complimentary discovery session with me and we can get you into practicing this yourself. I have a beautiful online course that you can go through that would really serve you great. You guys have a great week and I'm just sending you, I am so grateful for you. I'm grateful for Transformation Talk Radio. My amazing producer today, Sierra, thank you so much. And until next Monday, live your life in full expression. See you then, bye. Thanks for tuning in to Life in Full Expression with me, Beth Wolf. Tune in each Monday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern on transformationtalkradio.com. Be your most elevated self and pursue a path of fulfillment, clarity, expansion, fun, and live in your best life. If you would like to discover the seven dimensions of your life blueprint of expression, to fully express yourself, reveal your heart's clarity for dynamic direction, and activate your unique capability, visit BethWolf.com. That's Beth, W-O-L-F-E.com.
2: Views expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station, its management, or advertisers.